Welcome to the Do Life Better podcast, where we believe that you get to create who you are being and who you become, and that it's often the smallest challenges and actions that make the biggest difference. Each week, your host, Dave Jorner, will bring you the best guests, tips, and messages to inspire you and help you to do your life even better. Thanks for joining us today. Now let's get started. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Do Life Better podcast, and I hope you're creating a great day today. Now, of course, you might have noticed that today's voiceover was different again, and it was by Kelvin. So, Kelvin, thank you for being our guest voiceover person today. Now, on our episode today, we have a special chat with Jemima Ashley, who is one of Australia's top 10 female entrepreneurs, a former Australian Federal Police Criminal Intelligence Analyst, an improviser, a comedy writer, a speaker, and a very soon-to-be author. Jemima and I chat about her stories and insights for maintaining high performance during whatever life throws at you. So, I hope you enjoyed today's chat with Jemima Ashley. Hi, Jemima. Thank you for joining us on today's episode. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, likewise, Ashley. Particularly after... Um, hearing a lot about your story and, and doing some research into you lately and, and seeing your different experiences. I mean, you, you've experienced quite a lot um, in, in your life so far, and there's so much that we could talk about today, and it might be hard for me to pull back a bit, but um, <laughs> let's, let's see how we go. So um, I'd <laughs> love to go. start. Give it a go. I'd love to start talking about um, your time in, in security. Like, yeah, I'd love to hear more about that. Yeah, so I worked in law enforcement for um, 10 years, which mm-hmm. was um, such an incredible experience. I started my um, my career very early on. My dad was was, was a police officer in um, Victoria okay. Police for 44 years. So oh, wow. this was kind of a family connection. And my first real memory of my dad and I was sort of looking through some of his files at home. And mm-hmm. this, was, um, this was a huge calling to me. And I loved law enforcement. I still do to this day. Um, and I loved investigations and security and this whole idea. So I ended up Mm. finishing, um, high school, um, and totally against every teacher. I, um, who like, you should do something that's a safe, secure job, like go to teaching or something. I ended up taking, um, ended up doing a bachelor of science, majoring in national security, um, Mm -hmm. which would lead me to working in prisons. And then I went over to corrections to Victoria police and then ended in the federal Australian federal police for 10 years. Wow. What was that like? It was incredible. Um, it was a really, uh, it was a beautiful job. I loved law enforcement. I really did. And it was such an amazing opportunity and mm-hmm. it's something that I work towards. I'm, I'm quite type A and I'm quite um, driven to get where I want to go. So, um, you know, at 28, I found myself working in my kind of dream job and got there. Yeah. I was like, oh, okay. I've worked my whole life to get here. I'm like, wow, this is not what I, exactly what I thought it would be. I got a little bit, um, you know, it got a little bit stressful and a bit burnt out um, after sort of 10 years of working in law enforcement because what people don't tell you about law enforcement is no one ever is ever having a good day. So you have, you know, um, the officers who are investigating offences and it's never like fun offences. Sort of you're working, you know, and especially AFP dealing like crown and terrorism and drug offences and um, child exploitation and human trafficking and these are areas that I worked in. So you're seeing some of the worst parts of humanity and then I ended up um, just getting a little bit burnt out from all of this and just deciding it was kind of time to try something a little bit different. 
Well, so a couple of questions with that, if I can. Firstly, I'm quite familiar with the term of um, being a type A. For those who aren't familiar with that, tell us a bit more about what you mean by being a type A. Oh, so um, I'm extremely uh, goal-driven and Mm -hmm. I'm extremely uh, 100% all in or 100% all out. And that's the best way I can kind of describe it. So I'm 100% in at all times or I'm 100% out. So I'm either on the green juice smoothies and I'm doing 100 sit-ups a day or I'm going to eat pizza. <laughs> like there is no in-between for me. Like I'm going to learn a language and someone's going to tell me it's going to take four years, I'll do it in two. So I'm very driven, very inner, and this is an, it's an extreme pressure that I pr- probably I always have put on myself that I'm going to be, I'm doing this and there's there's no exceptions. This is what I'm going to do and then I'm going to go and do it. Well, can I ask you then though, so if you're either 100% in or not at all, do you, so sometimes for me, if it's exciting, I jump in and do it, then I think about it later. <laughs> and sometimes that works and sometimes that doesn't. Knowing that you're 100% in or nothing, do you have a, a process? Do you have um, some discernment time that you go through to kind of think, if I'm going to go 100% in, I need to make sure this is right first or with the green smoothies and the you know, 100 sit-ups a day, that type of thing, or do you just kind of like, just go with it? I just and, go with it. It's a gut. Um, I've been very fortunate that, um, and that I just know where I need to be. I don't know the next thing that I need to do. Um, and once I've made that decision, I'm all in. So I might sit on that decision. It's not necessarily sort of, I'm going to go sky jump. I'm going to go, um, you know, skydiving today. I will mm. have a look at it. But when I make that decision, we're going tomorrow. <laughs> like it is, I've decided, but let's go. Very cool. So once you decided, it's all in. Let's do it now. No waiting. Let's just get it done. Yeah, let's get it done. And I think that the, you think, I think that's a it's a curse and a you know it's a pro and a curse, right? Like it's the mm-hmm. best thing ever if you're trying to get something done. Mm-hmm. It's terrible if you're trying to get some sleep. <laughs> yes, yes, because all you want to do is just work on that new project or, or whatever it is. Oh, yeah. You're 100% in. Yeah, and um, you know, it led to some, which I'm sure we'll get into, but led me to some uh, pretty difficult places in uh, about 2015. So, yeah, I would actually like to get into that in a moment. And before we do, I want to ask you again a question about um, you're saying with the law enforcement and securities and the Australian Federal Police, and you know, it was your dream job, but didn't turn out to be that way um, hmm. because you said something about you know, no one's ever having a good day. Yeah. Yeah, law enforcement's incredibly difficult. It's um, we we can lose sight of uh, in law enforcement. It's it's never like it's never investigating who's the cutest kitten on the block. It's always mm. you know you're dealing with a, you know someone who's committed an offence. And let's just use mm. human trafficking as an example. You know you're looking at a victim. There's a victim here. There's someone who's made a decision to traffic a human, which is a pretty terrible decision to make for profit, mm. which is pretty much the sole reason that this whole industry exists. Mm. You've got a victim who has their world torn apart. You, you're often dealing with, you know, the aftermath. You're dealing with the families of these people. This is an incredibly stressful job, not to mention, you know, there's, we've seen a huge increase. So the work itself is incredibly stressful. Then we have the external factors where we're influenced by the state and federal government. And then you have, you know, you have to, there's a lot of um, legal guidelines that we have in you come home and it's an incredibly stressful job and you come home and your family's like, where's dinner? So yeah. it's never, there's this decompression time. And if you, in, you have to decompartmentalize your life mm. where you have your work, you have your life, you have your social life. And often this is national security risks. So you're going to work mm. 
talking about really horrific things and dealing with victims and offenders and, you know, the families of the victims and the families of the offenders who sometimes don't know this, this is the thing. Um, you can be dealing with drug addicts. You can be dealing with the people who have had the house broken into. It can be a whole range of people that you're dealing with on a daily basis. And then you're coming home and life continues and you can't talk about these issues. My partner thankfully works for the federal government as well in um, Department of Defence. So I have the ability to come home and just say I can't talk about my day and he doesn't push me on that. But it's just also this secrecy and it builds these inner, you really unique bonds within law enforcement. Like the people who work in law enforcement are continually bonded with each other. But, you know, I'd go to family dinners and catch up with friends on the weekend. They'd be like, how was your week? And you'd think about the horrific things that you'd seen mm. or, you know, this, the child victim or the, you know, the mother who you had to tell, you know, or saw her son had passed away. Um, and you'd have to say, yeah, it was good. How was yours? And they'd start talking about paperwork and how there was an issue with their timesheets <laughs> or, or something like, and there's this, you know, it's this huge juxtaposition. Also, um, when you're in this type of job, there is this expectation that your life is really open. Mm. So if you have a national security clearance, you have to disclose everything. You buy a new yeah. TV, you have to let them know. You get $10,000 in your bank because someone dies, you have to tell them. Yeah. You get drug tested, you get, you know, your your phones are checked. Like this sort of stuff happens. Yeah. And I get why they do it, but eventually, you know, after a few years and um, a big a big shift for me was um, there was a shooting that happened in New South Wales yeah. of, a, of a man who was leaving work from New South Wales police and he was shot and um, ISIS claimed responsibility for it. This guy was Friday afternoon. This guy was an accountant. He wasn't even a police officer. Jeez. He like, was shot out the front of his workplace. And then ISIS came out with a video and said, yeah, we're going to, you know, Australian Federal Police, you're on our target list. Our security went up and it all became extremely far more stressful than it had been before. Wow. So many, so many questions <laughs> with all that. Um, I suppose first one is how do you, how do you do that? How do you go from having those huge, tremendous, oh, not tremendous, sorry, there's traumatic experiences during the week and and then come home and, and, and make dinner for friends, family, loved ones, or, you know, the catch-ups on the weekends. How do, you, how do you do that? You said before there was no decompression time. There's no time to separate your work life from family and stuff. How did you cope with that? Um, for a long time, you, I didn't realize it was an issue. Mm -hmm. If I'm honest, for a long time, I just went, okay, this is how my life goes. This mm -hmm. is what I do. And because I'm surrounded for a, at a minimum 40 hours a week with people who were doing the same thing. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't weird to me. Um, where I started to see the shift was when I, when I, um, started doing, um, improvisation and comedy classes and I would see people who had nine to five jobs or not even nine to five jobs who were working with sort of an entrepreneur business lifestyle and it wasn't stressful and they were having happy days. And, you know, the hardest thing for them was, oh, our staff members called in sick today, which one of us is going to work um, to go and do something fun where it's a fun comedy kind of day where you get to teach kids or you get to have life-affirming moments mm. rather than what can feel like a barrage of negative stuff. So, I mean, you know, and don't get me wrong, there are wins in law enforcement when you put someone behind bars or when you're having a, you know, when you have that win and the victim gets retribution mm. or person that you've wanted to try to get to jail for a long time that works and that succeeds and you go through the court process but it can feel like a push uphill so it can be really difficult I didn't handle it very I didn't realize it was an issue for a long time so I didn't know I needed to be managing mm -hmm. it um, but 
um, yeah, so things were pretty pear shaped in 2015 for me. Mm. And then um, I then really had to discover sort of what self-care meant because I loved working. I still love working. Mm. I love doing my job. I love, you know, getting into the thick of it. Um, but had to learn about self-care very rapidly. Yeah, and, and definitely keen to hear about that in a second and, of course, 2015. And before we do, one more question. Um, did it feel like you kind of lived a double life? Uh, you know, oh, catching up with family and, and even at the comedy, um, you know, doing the, the comedy classes, that type of thing. Did it feel like you were faking it there and, and your real life was at work, but then in social settings, you just had to fake and, and, you know, like I could imagine maybe you really wanted to talk to people about all the stuff that was going on, but you just knew that you couldn't. So it was two sides of you. Would, would that be true? Yeah, I think, um, I think what probably ultimately would end up happening was I would realize that the law enforcement felt more fake than the real life because eventually there was a shift where I was like, I want to actually do more happy stuff. I don't want to be in this negative place the entire time. So I think initially it definitely felt like a split life and a real double life. And I was okay with that because I was able to go, this is my work life. This is my real life. Um, and there was light and shade and there was balance there. And, um, but it definitely felt like, you know, you couldn't be yourself and you couldn't be completely mm. honest. Um, and one of the most refreshing things I have now about my job is that, and it's a conversation you and I had before we started recording is like, I'm an open mm. book now. I'll tell mm. you the truth. I'll tell you what happened. I'll tell you, you know, the intricacies of it because I think secrets can be damaging. Yes. Yep. For sure. For sure. And, and so talking about now being an open book and so on, you've mentioned a number of times the big events in 2015. So I'd love to hear more about that. Yeah. Uh, so um, in 2015, I had um, – so uh, the background story is that behind the scenes, I had been working overseas and mm-hmm. um, had the opportunity to be in Manhattan mm-hmm. and um, – in New York and I met a silversmith who was making jewelry. I didn't know what he was doing, but I was pretty sure that it was the best thing I'd ever seen. So um, I sort of stalked this poor guy for a couple of weeks um, because my apartment was above him and I eventually, uh, so he eventually kind of yells at me, like, get in here. And he's like, what are you doing? I said, what are you doing? And um, I sat with him for the next few weeks on and off after work Mm. and we'd watch him make jewelry. And he would show me how to work with metal and to work with jewelry. And it was sort of this most life affirming thing. And I wasn't, you know, I'd never did metal work or woodwork or anything at school because mostly I wasn't allowed to, cause I was a girl. And Isn't that I'm a shame? My, well, I'm in my thirties. So like it wasn't, it was just more posed as yeah. you'll be the only girl in the class when I tried yep. to do it. Yep. Um, and wouldn't, didn't realize much later until what that kind of meant um, for, you know, I could have done the class. It was just mm. more maybe you shouldn't. Okay. That's at least how it was posed. So it looked like it was my decision. Okay. Um, so what would happen is I'd come and start, like I started doing comedy classes and it, like I was meeting people who weren't from Planet Grimm, which was kind of amazing. And I started making jewelry and I was starting to get probably a little bit burnt out because I was trying to have this entrepreneurial kind of flex, try, try it out, see how it was going, make jewelry for myself. I had times in studios, I'd have classes after work and I go to work and it was seeming like it was just kind of all very negative. Um, and I remember one night just feeling exhausted, the best way to explain it. And I, was, I jumped in my car um, and I live in Canberra in the ACT. And for anyone that's visited Canberra, Canberra is extremely dispersed where location wise and where everything is. And I um, was driving home 
And it's important to note at this point, my partner is about to go on a nine month deployment overseas. So this is like the worst time. (laughs) There's a lot of stuff happening in the background. And I was driving home and I just suddenly couldn't breathe. And I felt like I'm, I'm dying. This is what's happening. And I pulled the car over and, you know, I just had what I would, I thought I was going to, I thought I was dying, thought I was having a heart attack. I thought the world's ending. I don't know what's going on here. Mm. And I'd find out that I had, I was actually having a panic attack. Okay. And this was the first time that I'd ever sort of encountered any mental health issues um, or any sort of serious sort of um, real, like, you know, I've had anxiety before. I've had nerves. This was fine, but this was a totally different level completely off the, you know, and one of the things about panic attacks is that you do feel like you're dying. This is what happens. So I managed to pull it together and get home into the driveway, walked inside and just burst into tears and laid on the floor. And I was like, I don't know what that was, but I never want to go through that again. That was awful. And I seriously thought about going to the hospital and realized, okay, Googled the symptoms, might have had a panic attack. The problem is with panic attacks is that your body doesn't know what is real and what's not. It just perceives danger and kicks you into a fight or flight. Mm -hmm. So the problem is if you have a panic attack when you're in a car, as soon as you get back into the car, your body remembers this the same way it would remember fight or flight if it was a saber-toothed tiger. So I got behind the wheel again and I had immediately had another panic attack. Wow. Because it creates that really strong association between the experience, the panic attack, and and the the location. um, Yeah. Yeah. And so I'm in like on the front seat of my car trying, you know, this is a Friday afternoon trying to go to work. Mm. And I was like, what is going on here? Mm. And um, the short version is my world fell apart in a matter of days. It got to the point where just even getting out the front door, because I was like, what do you, you know, you end up with anxiety about anxiety. I was like, oh my God, I'm going to have another panic attack if I go outside. And as yeah. soon as, and then I'm, I'm, I'm anxious about that. So as soon as I go outside, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? Yep, yep. So it got to the point where I was actually even struggling to get to my workplace in yeah. a matter of days. This is the scary thing about anxiety and, um, and how sort of all encompassing it became because it just overtook a very, you know, I'm extremely high functional. I'm extremely, um, accomplished and it floored me. It absolutely floored me. Mm. So as you're saying, within a couple of days, very high functioning, um, everything seemed fine on the surface. Everything seemed okay. Yeah. Then all of a sudden the panic attack and then within days he couldn't even get to work. Yeah. And so it was wow. absolutely, um, I'd later learn, um, and I just want to make this really, really clear to your listeners. Mm-hmm. I'd later learn a lot of things about, um, and I think if if anyone does have, uh, mental health issues or, you know, is, is suffering from anxiety and depression and all those, you know, really horrific things that, you know, one in three Australians will go through at any one time. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, and, uh, you know, it's it's a huge thing that you need to be aware of, but education is so vital to understand what was going on. So for me, mm-hmm. um, I was really fortunate that I sought um, medical intervention almost immediately. I was at my, mm-hmm. um, my doctor's office very quickly and that resulted in me going to um, a psychologist and seeing a psychiatrist and seeing the right people. But the other thing that I was that was done was me getting an understanding of what was actually happening, because yes. at a chemical level, it wasn't about me. It was actually about my brain, and it was really, really, very much about stress. And it was about how I had never dealt with any of the stresses in my life. 
I had just worn it and gone, yeah, that's fine. And here's what happens. If you don't release the stress hormone, which is a really nasty little hormone called cortisol, Mm -hmm. if you don't have an outlet for that, it eventually is like filling a cup full of water. You just keep adding the water and adding the water and adding the water and suddenly the cup is overflowing. And that's what a panic attack is. It's just we can't deal with any more cortisol. We can't deal with any more stress. So, you know, we assume, you know, your body is going, I'm assuming that there is now a saber-toothed tiger staring Mm. at you because that's how stressed you are right now. So I'm going to give you a fight or flight response. And I'm like, seriously, guys, I just want to, I'm just driving home. (laughs) Like this is all that's happening. Yeah, so it's not as if the cortisol, you know, the stress hormone refreshes every single day, it builds up over time. And then with enough stressful experiences in your life, you know, your work overseas with the security and so on, with enough stressful experiences, all it took was that one little straw that broke the camel's back. It was just one extra thing. And then your body's like, nah, I've had enough. And that led to the panic attack, yeah? Yeah, it's it's exactly what it was. It was just, it was just that one final thing. And, you know, it was just driving home and I was like, yep, I'm dying. This is what's happening. So um, I'll save you the uh, the gory stuff, but it would take okay. probably three or four months before I could wow. have a generally okay day. Um, okay. I am pro-medication when it comes to this. So I fought and I'm talking, I fought with a doctor to the point where I was like, I'm not going on medication. You cannot make me. And he's mm. like, and he looked at me dead in the eyes and on, he's like, baby, I'm going to be honest with you. I need glasses because I can't read. Your brain is a mess. You are so stressed. Like I, I was, I had the really horrible thing is that anxiety, anxiety's best friend is depression. Mm-hmm. And as soon as you start getting anxiety and panic attacks, you almost immediately start showing signs of depression as well. And I was falling down that slide so quickly. So they were tracking me almost every second or third day I was in the GPs and they're watching me as I'm like, no, 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 I've got this under control. And he's like, you just don't. He goes, I know this feels like failure, but it's not. Um, I went on to medication and my life got a hundred times better in a matter of days. Wow. I could leave the house. I could get in the car. I could do things. (laughs) I could have a conversation. I could not be stressed. And, you know, there's a lot of work that went into this. This was meditation and it was running. It was learning how to empty that stress bucket, which is what it really was. But, you know, and now that's why I'm such a huge advocate now for self-care because I didn't have it before and I know the consequences if we don't take care of ourselves. Yeah, of course. So so during that four months then, when you said it it took that four months before you could get up and start doing your normal things again. And so was it, as you said, was it the combination of exercise, of of meditation, of of medication, uh, sorry, (laughs) exercise, medication, um, and and going to see the doctors and just time out? Is that what it was? Was there more to it than that over that four months? Um, There's so much that went into um, healing, I guess, Mm. For me, it was you know, this culmination of being honest about what was actually wrong and work was a big part of that. It right, so was, I'm actually not happy anymore. Can I ask you about, the, sorry to interrupt you, about yeah. um, being honest about it's not okay? So it's kind of this moment we often have these experiences in life where it's all fine and we're all, you know, and we're just like, we're good, I'm okay, I'm fine, it's all right. And we very rarely as humans check in with the reality of it um, it's why we see so many people in relationships that aren't terrific because they're like, well, we've been together for five years. It's fine. 
but are you happy? Like, are we actually okay? Do you actually like your job? How many people check in and go, is this something I actually want to be doing? Or have I just done it for long enough that this is fine? And sometimes Mm -hmm. the answer is no to that. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, I really, I took a few weeks off work, um, thankfully, um, government job. I had a lot of leave left up my up my sleeve and I was like, I'm actually unwell, got a medical certificate and work didn't ask a lot of questions about this and credit to the Australian Federal Police, they really did um, uh, give me time to go to the doctors and to, you know, to, to go to the GP and to go and see my psychologist and things like that. So I was very fortunate that I had a supportive workplace in that way and they had their own programs and stuff, but I decided to go sort of external to that. Um, you know, it was, but it was that really just checking and being like, am I, am I actually happy? Because I had worked and I mean, I have three university degrees. I speak three languages. Like I have worked wow. my butt off to get the, mm. the dream job that I wanted. And here's mm. the thing, I actually don't want it. I got there and I was like, this is not what I thought this was going to be. Can I not wow. this? pretend that I did? <laughs> please. What a shock. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, this happens so frequently. And this is the thing that I'm, I'm meeting so many people and telling the story, how many people open up to me and say, Oh, same thing happened to me. That dream job can just be, and you know, it's that goal, right? Once we get the goal, what do you want then? Mm. And so it was really going, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm tired. Like I, you know, I was going to work and when you're, you're actually analyzing your life and realizing what's good and bad and what you like and what you don't, I walked into my workplace and I'm like, I actually don't want to be here. And that's a huge moment. And I sort of, yeah. um, so that was kind of the first part of figuring out what was wrong. And my partner was working away a lot. Um, and I sort of said, I actually don't like you being away for this long, longer time. This is too long to be away from you. And so mm-hmm. he ended up uh, resigning from the job he was in and taking a new job that allowed him to be at home more often. Because that was a huge stress that was on both of us. Because we were both mm-hmm. so far away and he was doing so much travel and he was international and it was, you know, nine months he was away for. Like that's a long period of time oh, for anyone to be away from yeah, your partner. Yeah. And, you know, you change as a human and, and I think, you know, acknowledging that we change as people and that, mm-hmm. you know, this, that just because you said you wanted something, you change your mind doesn't make it a failure. I don't see any of that time as a failure. It was just me making the decision that was best for me and having some objectivity to it. If a friend had come to me and said, this is what's happening, I'm stressed at work all the time, I hate my job, da, 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 like it's a no-brainer, but... I invested 10 years into this. Why would I quit now? And it was putting the objectivity around it. So um, the next thing that would happen once I realized about that, so I was on medication, which actually just enabled me to think a bit clearer and to have Mm -hmm. less sort of, um, I guess, dramatic kind of episodes. So when I would get anxious, it was was sort of the equivalent of riding a really sort of a wipeout wave, which is sort of the panic attack or just hitting a little bit of speed bump. Like it was like, okay, I'm feeling really anxious. Okay, I'm good. It's not as bad as I thought it was going to be. Taking that down a few notches. Um, And then it was Mm. about figuring, like learning about cortisol, learning about what cortisol does and getting that education and learning that there there are certain types of food that actually help reduce cortisol. It's about learning that exercise is actually amazing for cortisol um, and to oh, drop your levels, it, that learning that sweat is great, like, you know, to release cortisol. When you put your body under that kind you know, any sort of exercise, cortisol is naturally mm. depleted from the body. Um, it was about learning about different vitamins and about meditation and how important that could potentially be. So um, yeah. it's really been a, 
it's a very holistic approach and it's not a one size fits all, you know, having to go to therapy and having to sit in a counselor's office and say, okay, this is everything that's wrong with my life and having that discovery because I had not checked in with myself for almost 10 years. This is the goal and I worked at it, but I didn't ever say like, am I authentically happy? Do I like what I'm doing? And when the answer is no, you need to, you need to check your life. <laughs> yep. Yep. What am I doing this for? Absolutely. I, I like what you're saying about the, um, being honest with yourself, identifying what's going on. Yeah. I'm not happy with this. And then also coupled with that is, okay, firstly, being honest. And then secondly, being, you know what, that's okay. Because as you said before, people change. Hmm. That's okay because I am allowed to change. That's okay because I thought it was going to be this and it turned out not to be what I expected. And and you know what? That is okay. Um, so I like those points there. Thank you. Um, really quickly, you mentioned about the type of food that reduces cortisol. So I'm guessing that you don't mean McDonald's and KFC or that type of thing. It's weird. Really quickly. No. Um, look, they're part of a balanced lifestyle and that's fine. And this is one thing <laughs> yep. I had to address of the green smoothies versus yeah. the pizza. I had no yeah. middle ground, like I'm all or nothing, right? Um, and, you know, that's my personality type and it's um, I'm quite polarizing in pretty much every aspect of my life. So um, so uh, foods that are good, um, vegetables, fruit, turkey is phenomenal. Turkey's turkey is really good for cortisol and reducing wow. um, high, high cacao chocolate, really phenomenal. So like 90%, it tastes bitter as hell, but it's delicious. And you don't need much of it either, do you? Just a small Yeah, you're good. Um, co- like reducing caffeine levels. That was something that I'd never, you know, I was like, oh yeah, it makes your heart go a bit faster. It makes your heart go a lot faster. If you stop taking coffee, <laughs> it's actually great. Uh, um, green tea is really good to sort of to have in the afternoon if you want that kind of pick me up, um, you know, because it has a little bit of caffeine and it's quite good because it's got a lot of um, antioxidants. Any blueberries are really good as well. So there's, you know, there's a lot of research out there that shows, you know, your diet is so closely linked. Um, because I think this is something else we get really wrong is that food is medicine. You're either healing yes. your body very quickly or you're killing it very slowly. That is it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Food's data. Yeah. Absolutely. The food is data for your body. It tells your body what to do next and how to process it. And, and it affects your mood and productivity and focus and sleep and all that stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's funny. I was given a Nutribullet as a, this isn't a plug for that brand, but <laughs> I was given one as a gift once and it completely changed my eating habits and my taste buds and all that. And I feel so much better now because of that, um, which has been awesome for me. And so just with this, I guess going a little bit further, um, I know that self-care is a big thing for you and you've been talking about that a lot and um you know you've experienced the extreme end i suppose of not having self-care and now you um use self-care a lot in your everyday process what would you tell someone because okay a lot of people say i haven't got time for self-care or um self-care is being um it's too selfish mm. pretty much you know too self-indulgent and and i need to be there with my family i need to be doing my work or whatever what would you tell someone who does feel the feel guilty about taking the time out for self-care and therefore doesn't do it? Uh, this is this is like the number one question I get from people like, I don't have time for this. I'm like, okay, yeah. so you can exercise for an hour or, and, you know, have a self-care routine that goes for an hour or you can be dead for 24 mm. hours a day. Which one works for you better? Um, so That's a good way to put it. Yeah. Yep. So, look, an hour is 4% of your day. So just to give you some perspective of how much time I'm actually asking you to put into that, 
And self-care is never selfish. I am like, that's my mantra. Like I just get so frustrated when people are like, it's really, it's really big. Oh, I've got to do this for work or do for this for the kids. If you're doing self-care, you are actually doing it for your job and you're doing it for your kids. If you're taking care of yourself, you are no good to anyone. If you end up in the position I ended up in, if you're fetal and you can't go to work and you can't make dinner and you can't watch TV, even without, you know, I couldn't watch stressful TV shows. I'd watch the Simpsons because everything, I was like, this is too stressful. My partner's like, this is law and order. This is your favorite show. I'm like, no, 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 I can't watch this. Put something like friends on. And even a friends episode was too stressful for me. So, you know, if you can't even take care of yourself, how can you take care of other people? You know, when they, you Mm. know, if you, um, I caught a flight yesterday from, um, from Melbourne to Canberra. And I was watching the the stewardess and they sort of, they're like, oh, and in a case of an emergency, make sure that you put the oxygen mask on yourself first. And the reason mm-hmm. that I tell you to do this is because you can't help anyone else if you're unconscious. Exactly. You can't help anyone else if you're not taking care of yourself. So, mm-hmm. and self-care doesn't have to be meditation mat, 50 minutes. Um, you know, it doesn't have to be a full day at a spa. Self-care can be just checking in with yourself a few times a day. It can be getting up. Like for me, my routine is 5.30, wake up, 6 o'clock, I'm on the pavement, and I'm back by 7. So my day start, like I'm good. Like by 7 o'clock, I'm sorted. And this morning I, um, I'm doing um, I'm training at the moment to learn how to run better because it's sort of a goal that I've got for 2018. Nice one. And everything everything hurts. Like, I'm going to be honest with you. Like, it's not always pretty. Um, and I got home today and I sort of, I kind of collapsed through the door. I'm like, that almost broke me. I don't know why I thought this was a good idea. Um, but you know, as soon as I kind of cooled down, the endorphins hit and I was like, I feel great. I can take the day on strong. I threw myself into a bath and I, I put some, you know, I, I sat down my partner comes in and is like, hard morning, is it? And I was like, yeah, I just went for a run. That was really hard. And he sort of had a joke about me having, you know, a spa bath at eight o'clock in the morning. I went, I'm not sorry about this. Like I have to do, I'm physically sore. Mm. And we, you know, if you can't, if you're physically injured, we take care of it. If you're emotionally injured, we don't. So, you know, and self-care can look really different to other people. It's, Mm. it's having the salad over the burger. It's having the fresh cold pressed juice over the fourth Red Bull for the day. It's in, and there's places for burgers and there's places for Red Bull, but it needs to be in balance and you need to be taking care of yourself. And let's be real, starting those choices is very difficult. Starting the choices of, no, I'm going to go for the smoothie instead of a Red Bull or I'm going to go with a salad instead of chips. At the start, those choices, are, for me, for example, were really difficult to make. As soon as there's hot chips in front of me, I'd start going for them. But the more I started making the healthier choice, no, I'm going to have the salad, no, I'm going to have the, the smoothie instead, the more I started doing that, the easier it got. Um like even this, my morning sound is very similar to yours, apart from the uh, the bath. <laughs> I was up at five thirty, went for a run. I'm trying to. I've got a running goal this year as well, and you know, that was really difficult starting that habit of doing the running in the morning. But you know, after a couple of weeks, it just becomes what you're doing, and making the hard choice enough ends up becoming an easy choice. I think. Yeah, I um I woke up in Melbourne uh, yesterday morning, and um, so you know, there's lots of little tricks here. Um, it's you know, you don't just have to run; like, you don't just get up and just start no, running. Don't get me wrong yeah. here. You can listen to music. You can listen yep. to books. 
Um, at the moment, I'm training with something called the Zombie Run because I love shows like The Walking Dead. Okay. So, um, and it's it's kind of this radio program that plays in the background where it's like you're in a zombie apocalypse and it makes you run because the zombies behind you. It's this whole fun, it's it's fun, right? Mm. You've become it's become like a narrative um, occurring in this. And yesterday morning, I woke up in a hotel in Melbourne and I woke up at 6 a.m. I was like, I can't wait to go for a run. And I caught myself say that. And I was like, who are you? Who is this person? And this is a sort of a month of training every day. And I've had sort of one or two days off because I've been so sore. I just was like, I can't do anything today. Um, it's the it's that kind of when you're really, you know, you you make it fun and you get addicted to it. And, you know, mm. it's it's the same oh, way that we get addicted to hot chips. And you, you want to go. I'm like, I'm stressed. I need to go for a run. Whereas I used to go, I'm stressed. I need a chocolate bar. Mm-hmm. That's where I think we fall into the danger. It's breaking that new habit. And new habits are hard. 21 days at a minimum to form a new habit. It can mm. be so difficult. You're like, I don't want to do this. And I get it. But it doesn't mean you can't have hot chips again. It doesn't mean you can't have the chocolate bar again. It just means that you actually probably aren't going to want them as much as you think you used to. That's right. I like what you said about, I'm going to do this because I feel better now. That was the big switch for me. Like I always wanted to get back into running and eating healthy and that type of thing. And and I was always focused on the end goal. Like I want to be able to run this far, for example. But one day I heard someone say, don't worry about the end goal. Focus on mm-hmm. right now. So focus on knowing that after you go for your run or do listen to music or dance or whatever it is, after you do that, know that you're going to feel better than you do now. And so I started thinking about that a lot and, and that made the big change for me. I'm going to go for a run. I'm going to do this now because my whole day is going to be better because I do this now. Yeah, and I think we can forget that um, transformation isn't a future event. Mm. It's actually yes. present day activity. We are the sum, you know, for better or worse, right now <laughs> you were the sum of every choice that you've ever made. So, you know, I've got a few extra kilos around my tummy that I'd like to get rid of. So I have to make decisions because I want to be in that, that specific size pair of pants or I want to be able to run that specific place or I want to be, you know, I want to be healthier. It's not about, you know, an ideal weight. And I think we need to get out of this kind of mindset. Um, but it's about making sure that I'm, I'm the best version of me. Like mm. I'm, I can handle this physically. I can handle this emotionally. I can handle this mentally. When your day starts at 5 a.m., and you would understand this, I'm sure, yeah. when yep. your day starts at 5 a.m., what can you possibly throw at me that I have not already dealt with? Exactly. When, you're, when your feet hit the floor at 5 a.m. and you're putting runners on, you're like, what the hell am I doing? Yeah. And you're outside when there's no one else there and you're, you've sweated a litre and you've made a puddle on the floor or you've lifted weights for an hour or you've done 100 push-ups or whatever your poison is for the morning and you get home and, you know, you're looking at your neighbor's lights are coming on at 6 o'clock when you're coming back through the front door and you're like, I'm ready to start my day. How good is that day already? Exactly. You've already had a massive win. You've already gotten yeah. up. You've already gone for a run. You feel fantastic. You've had a win. You've had a head start on everybody else. And that's one of the key reasons I keep going too. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think it's, I think it's really, um, you know, and I think as soon as you start doing any sort of personal development stuff, mm-hmm. you realize you need to have this element of health and self-care built into your day because yeah. it, it detracts. If you're, if you're growing mentally, and you're growing emotionally as a person, physically you have to be changing as well. You just will. Mm. 
Absolutely. And on another note too, though, well, not really, it all kind of links with the self-care and so on. And you are a very successful businesswoman and an entrepreneur. And would you think that you would be as successful? Um, I suppose this is a very obvious answer, but um, your self-care, is that essential for your success uh, in the business world and, and um, being the entrepreneur that you are? Oh, absolutely. I think as soon as you take your self-care, my self-care out of it, it just falls apart. My life falls apart a little bit. Um, And I think that that really comes from, you know, the one thing about entrepreneurship that I'll say, so I started a jewelry business. I started a podcast series, which became one of Australia's most downloaded podcasts. Um, We won a bunch of awards. I now, um, I was named one of top 10 Australian female entrepreneurs. Um, for 2017 and one of, you know, a few other awards in there as well. But um, I, I I think the, the the main thing that I can tell people with that is that if you're ever wanting, if you're wanting to do business or when you want to become an entrepreneur and build your own business around your, your own brand or your own career, that, you know, it's, it's an, it's an 18 hour day. And I don't mean that you work a full 18 hour days without stopping, but you, it's a lifestyle choice Mm. and you need to be able to manage all of that. So there are a lot of people out there that want to be entrepreneurs because it looks really sexy and Mm. I get it because it looks like you are somebody, Um, you know, I get to go to photo shoots and do television interviews and do all these things, but it's really legitimately, it's 18 hour days. Businesses Mm. and entrepreneurship is made when no one else is watching. Because you're doing as glamorous as everyone thinks. Yeah. Oh my God. It's so not glamorous. It's sweatpants (laughs) and it's actually, and it's coffee and it's 1am lurking at the computer going, I hate everything, but I need this done by the morning. Um, Mm. It's, it's jumping onto, you know, we're doing um, an interstate, you know, phone conversation now, it's having interviews, it's being vulnerable, it's it's really hard work, it's learning how to code websites, it's learning the mm. the posts of the, you know, the waiting posts at Australia Post. It's learning how to do things that you never thought in a million years you would ever have to learn how to do. Um yeah. and it's it's really complicated because you're running entirely, you know, you're trying to build an empire. It's really difficult. And if you don't have the right strategies around that for when things go wrong, because the thing is with entrepreneurship, there are so many exit doors. It's a, there's crushing highs and there's amazing, you know, it's amazing and terrible all in one. And I would mm. not recommend, you know, I think most people who have gone down the entrepreneur route would sort of say, you know, it's, it's not for the faint hearted. It's not for people who kind of just want to work and have a part-time job. This is, this is dedication. Like it's only in our day. Yep. And I consider yep. when I, and let me be really clear here. I hit the floor at five 30 in the morning. I mean it. That's work time for me. Mm. I consider my workout and my exercise and doing the zombie run and doing meditation as important as responding to emails. That's such a great way to look at it. I, I, I love that. That's such a great way to look at it. Your work time starts when you're out there going for a run because yeah, it's more it, it, as important as emails. I love that. That's very Absolutely. cool. And I mean, it's also, you know, you, you don't have to do zombie run. You don't have to listen to music. You can listen to books. I am, um, mm. you know, I got through um, Gary Vaynerchuk's latest book on, um, it took me 11 hours, but for te- like for six days, Gary and I went for a run every morning together. <laughs> exactly. I did the same once. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It's great. You know, look at things like um, audible. If you don't have time to listen to 11 hours of like audio, apps like Blinkist, which get any book at all and compress it down to 20 minutes. 
um, and just mm. take the key points away. So, you know, it's you can use that as, as work time. Um, I was feeling really stressed the other day and I was like, I have to go for a run. Like, I'm really tired. And I rang my sister and I just said, how was your day? And in between me kind of going, how are you going? <laughs> You're breathing really heavily. She told me what was happening with her. It's that, you know, that time is as important as anything else. Oh, for sure. And I love your advice because it's it's so relevant for, as you said, entrepreneurs, for um, people in school, in, in uni, high achievers anywhere, people in the workplace, um, family people, like anyone who's wanting to succeed in any area at all. I think your advice is so pertinent in all those different areas. So thank you for that. Um, what are you working on now? What's your What's your end goal now? So uh, this year, so last year I was named one of the top 10 female entrepreneurs in Australia. Yeah, well done. This year I'm going after the boys, so um, I'm making that top 10 list for uh, mixed gender. So nice um, last year there was um, they named a top 20 and only one of them was female. So really? look, my goal is that. So this year I'm also going to be releasing my first book, which I'm very excited yep. about. Very cool. So that's looking like it's going to be coming out in April. So we're hoping for Amazon bestseller at that point. Um, nice and that's kind of my, my big, one of my big goals for this year. Yeah. Um, and this year um, is really going to be about setting um, setting up and doing speaking gigs with people and making sure that we're you know we're getting that that self care message out there and getting that you know this is what it's actually like to build a business because I think we have I think it's extremely glamorized especially on things like social media it looks mm-hmm. very pretty and what I would like to do this year is set up some really honest tools about how to get ahead in business and you know i would like to help build better entrepreneurs so who are you doing that through so that's going to be done through uh jemimaashley.com.au um and also through uh, my second book which will hopefully be coming out the end of the year which is mid-ride at the moment and that's called building Mm -hmm. better entrepreneurs that'll also be um, a video series and um some podcasts coming out around that as well Oh, very cool. So uh, we can put the links in the show notes for that if you like. Yeah, that'd be great. Thank you. Awesome. Now we are going over time here. I do apologize for that. I do have a couple more questions, mm-hmm. if that's okay. Of course. Uh, one is for me, thank you. For me, I have what I call a rocking chair test. I haven't got a rocking chair yet, but when I do get one, and hopefully one day I'll have a nice porch looking over, a nice balcony looking over um, some scenery somewhere one day. And my test is when I'm old and gray and wrinkly, sitting on my rocking chair, looking out over the scenery, what's the thing in my life that will make me the proudest? What would be the achievements that I, or the influence I like to create, the positivity I want to create that would make me the proudest and go, you know what? I've lived a good life and um, I've made a difference. What would be your rocking chair test? What would be your achievement? <laughs> that is. I did uh, thank you on this one. <laughs> that is like the best question I think I've ever been asked. Um, okay. So the rocking, I love that test, by the way, that's, you know, what are you you're looking <laughs> at? And it's that, you know, who do you want next to you as well? Like, who do you want to be sitting with the rocking yeah. chair? And like, who do you want to be playing cards with or something? Yeah. Well? Like, I think that's a good yeah, one. Yeah. So, um, look, my, my ultimate goal, if I could have an absolute ultimate goal is that 95% of businesses in the first five years are folding. And I don't mm. think it's because that people have bad ideas. I think it's because people are burning out. I think we have not yes. figured out how to get, you know, we are making it look extremely glamorous. 
what I would like to do is make that number go up a bit. So instead of 5%, I'd like to hit like 10% because there are some businesses, honestly, that have terrible ideas and some people who like the idea of it rather than actually wanting to do the work. And I understand both of those things. So I would like to say that I increase that. The other thing is that I would like to, um, to really have built a, you know, the empire that I would like to build is around helping other people succeed. It's not about competition. I'm not in competition with anyone else except for who I was yesterday. I don't I like that. consider myself, you know, I don't look at other people um, and the people that I've been, you know, put in the same category as, and I'm, I'm, I'm inspired by that. I don't look at them as my competition. No one mm. else is my competition, just me. And I've only mm. got to be better than who I was yesterday. That's it. So, you know, Excellent. I'd like to have built an empire based on, you know, kindness and around positivity and about, you know, and giving people the tools to make their own life choices better and, you know, learning that it's okay that if even if you've worked 10 years in one career, you can leave and it's okay. The world's not going to collapse. It's actually going to be better. Be awake to what you're doing. Nice. Be awake to what you're doing. Very cool. I like that. Thank you. Um, and, And for another one, what are you most grateful for right now? I have a gratitude journal because I think that gratitude is everything. Um, So this morning I was grateful for the opportunities that were currently presenting themselves and the Mm -hmm. amazing people who are in my life. I'm grateful every day because I can't believe that there are days where I get to, you know, have conversations like this with you. I'm, you know, I'm making a career by being myself and by helping Mm -hmm. other people. I cannot think of a better career to have um, and I can't think of better people to have around me than people that have the same kind of message that I have and same drive that I have. Very cool. Thank you. Um, I like that. And um, so this is the Do Life Better podcast where we are all about uh, enabling and helping people do their life even better and create even more happiness and success and fulfillment and whatever that means for them. In terms of do life better, what does that mean for you? What does it mean to do life better? Um, yeah. I think it just comes back to what we just spoke about. I think it's about not being in competition with other people. It's about being in competition with yourself. Mm-hmm. And I think it's also about gratitude. I think to, um, to do life better is, to, is personal development. It's learning about Mm -hmm. who you are because there's this amazing thing, right, about I I read a poem once by a woman named Natalie Patterson. Um, She has an amazing spoken word artist in the US who I've been had since had the chance to connect with because she heard me do an interview and talk about her. And she did um, a poem called Healing Humanity. And this poem Mm -hmm. is beautiful, but it's about how do we heal humanity? And it was like you have to heal yourself first. And it's this idea of, you know, you have to know yourself and you have to better yourself. And once you do that, and we, we can help other people, but it also means that if everyone does it, we're going to heal humanity collectively. So I think it's about really knowing yourself and about, you know, pushing yourself and also about taking care of yourself um, to do your life better. So make yourself a better person. That's deep. I love it. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, so for our last question, 
you are very passionate about uh, self-care, about bringing self-care awareness to other people and encouraging self-care for others. And, and um, you focus a lot on, on the importance of that in your life. And you know, what you're saying is that self-care for you is just as important as all the business things that you do. Mm. So um, in terms of giving a challenge for our listeners for the week to help with their self-care or whatever, what would you like them to focus on? Um, so I think the first thing that what I'd love people to go and do is to have a think about what you love doing. And, you know, self-care doesn't have to be running. It doesn't have to be meditation. It can be doing an art class. It can be um, having a 90s dance party in the middle of your living room by yourself, close the curtains or I left them once yep. open and it was a tragedy. My neighbours think I'm very strange. <laughs> um, but it's about finding what release you can have that's not, you know, that's not career focused, it's not family focused, but it's you focused. So it can be meditating. Mm -hmm. It can be going for a swim. It can be just this really small thing. So what I, I guess what I'd like to challenge your listeners to have a think about is can you find something that you love in your life that you is just for you because that thing and that drive, and it might sound a little strange to yourself when you ask yourself this question, because there might be something that you've never thought about before or actively, if you haven't checked in with yourself, how can you know the things that you want to try? Um, I did this exercise once in a workshop and someone said, um, oh, I don't know what happened, but I had a uh, like go rollerblading. I haven't been rollerblading for years. And I said to her, so why don't you go rollerblading this weekend? And she rang me back. She's like, oh, my God, I love rollerblading. I forgot how much I love this. This is the greatest thing in the world. And this became her <laughs> new hobby. So like, she's like the wow. only person since like the, the 90s to be still rollerblading, I think. So if you see her. Can you even buy them still? Wow. She still had some. She still had yeah, them. She still wow. had them and she had to get some online because like they would worn out a little bit. And she's like, this is the most fun ever. How could? How did I forget this? And it was just that little voice. It was like just a reminder. So it could be something you've never even tried. Like you, 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 might, you might ask yourself this question and be like, pottery? I Do I really want to do a pottery class? Go and give it a go. There's no, no nothing stopping you. But find find what you want to do and find it just for you. And it might not sound good to other people. I want to go and do a martial arts class. Go and give it a go. What is the absolute worst that's going to happen? You're going to have a good time. Yep. You might be a bit sore the next day. You'll get punched in the face. You'll be fine. And it will actually be a great that's experience right. for you. And you'll have a good time. Or you could get there and realize this is where you want to be and, you know, end up with a in a dojo every three days getting, you know, beating up other people and becoming extremely skilled, self-confident, healthy, fit, um, exercising some more, making new friends. Like this is the potential. What do you want to do? So and this is mm. that check-in time of what is the thing that you would do if you could do anything that you wanted to do? Nice one. So your challenge is find the one thing that you want to do. What's that one thing um, that would make a difference for you that, that would be your stress release, something fun, something novel, something exciting. Um, it doesn't have to be anything specific. doesn't have to be running, just whatever's going to work for you. Find that one thing yeah, and, and make that happen this week. Yeah. And it might be something that you'd never even thought of. Check in with yourself and ask what Very the cool. thing you could try. What do, what would you like to give a go? Because I feel like mm -hmm. if you start to have a listen to that voice, you're going to find very quickly something else that you really want to do. That's awesome. Jamama, thank you very much for that. Thank you. And, um, yeah, I'm really grateful for your time with us today. 
for your inspiration. I know it's going to be incredibly helpful for our listeners. Again, whether they are entrepreneurs, whether um, they are at school or at uni or family people, whatever, I know that um, your passion and your purposefulness around self-care and educating people in self-care and the importance of it. And I I love, again, the variety that you give to it. It doesn't have to be specific um, things to do. It's a whole variety. It's whatever it works for you. So, um, Jamala, thank you for your time today. And, yeah, really keen for when your book does come out. and I'll have to grab a copy of that, I think, and, and have a read. And, and all the best again for um, getting in the, the, the top 20 entrepreneurs for this year yeah, too. Yeah, so setting the challenge you. down to the boys this year. It's really exciting. Um, thank yeah. you so much. It's been really Good fun. And I'm hoping that um, your listeners will be able to take some key stuff away from this. I hope so. Absolutely. Thank you. And just one more time, where can our listeners get in contact with yeah, you? Yeah, so uh, best to find me at jemimaashley.com and jemimaashley.com.au. Um, and you can uh, reach me through my website. Awesome. Jamama, thank you very much. Thank you. So there you have it. I hope today's conversation with Jemima Ashley was really helpful for you. And of course, please do remember her challenge for the week, which is find one new and exciting thing that you can try out this week. Who knows? Maybe you'll love it. Give it a go. And of course, Calvin, thank you very much for being our guest voiceover person for the week. And if you would like to have a go, please do contact us at hello at projecthatch.com.au. That's hello at projecthatch.com.au if you would like to be a guest guest voiceover person for another episode. So please do share this out with all your friends and family. Share it out on social media, wherever you can. Please subscribe, leave a rating and a review. And I look forward to having you join us again next time. Thanks again for listening to the Do Life Better podcast. You can find all our show notes at www.projecthatch.com.au slash do life better. If you'd like to book Dave Jordan to speak at your event, company or school, you can contact him at hello at projecthatch.com.au. You can connect with us on facebook.com slash project hatch and on Instagram at project underscore hatch. Please remember to subscribe to the podcast and share it with someone you think would benefit from these messages. And now it's time to get out there and do life better.